The sky was dark. Wind howling, snow blinding, bone chilling was the storm that had fallen. A blizzard of of epic proportions that stood in the way of one man and the world. One man with a mission. One man with a duty to deliver the hope that so many needed. He was no stranger to discomfort, no stranger to difficulty. He had braved the bitter cold before. He had fought his way through the ice, the sleet, the snow many times. Scaled mountains. He navigated tight spaces. Wrestled his way through charging headwinds. But this, this was different. It wasn't a lack of strength or or courage or even endurance that threatened his journey. It wasn't uh, anything like that. It was the unrelenting ferocity of the swirling, the spinning, the sight-stopping snow. How can you deliver? How can you get from point A to point B? How can you reach people who are counting on you when you have no way of telling where you're going. It seemed like all hope was lost. That uh, disappointment, sorrow, and suffering, well, those were just inevitable. It was going to happen. There was, there was no solution here. But then, as is so often the case, isn't it? That's when the lights turned on. That's when that proverbial bell sounded. That's when the unassuming solution stared him right in the face and he said, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Wouldn't it be nice if the answer to all of our problems was as plain as the nose on our face. And wouldn't it be nice if the hope that we need just gave a knock at the door, inviting us to slide that deadbolt, turn the knob, and let it in? Wouldn't it be nice? But it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. Instead, life is a a race. Life is a, a quest. It's a desperate search for solutions to our problems, an answer to our questions, to find the resources that we so desperately need. We're chasing hope. We're chasing light. We're chasing a life that's better than the one that we're living right now, aren't we? We're chasing. What are you chasing? Some are chasing normal right now. That's understandable, isn't it? Some are chasing justice. Some are chasing health. Some are are just chasing survival. For two sisters whose brother stood on the doorstep of death's door, the search was for a miracle. For a miracle. The situation was desperate. The medications, the methods of the day, they had all failed. The one shot that they had was a man who could supposedly do the impossible. But could they get to him in time? Would he come? Would he be able to save the life that was so very near and dear to them? Well, he did come. But it was too late. The weeping, the wailing, the grieving, the mourning, all of that had been going for some time now. And as he turned the corner onto their street, 
One sister, no doubt, clothes completely disheveled, hair, probably a disaster, mascara, tears smearing her pale face. She couldn't hold back any longer, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. To that, Jesus replied, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Martha had given up hope, but then the unexpected happened. She came to see that, that hope was far bigger, far better unstoppable and all-powerful hope, the hope that she had been looking for, it was right there in front of her. That hope is and always has been Jesus Christ. As we step into this Christmas season are tempted to look in all sorts of different directions for hope, putting the lights up, propping up the tree, going through all the motions that we normally go through to celebrate the arrival of hope in our world. All of that this year is overshadowed, isn't it? It's overshadowed by a very real, deeply felt, tangible collection of needs. We need money. We need safety. We need security. We need, some of us, a mental and emotional break. Hopefully we all have the toilet paper that we need, right? We need, we need to return to what we once took for granted as normal. But in the midst of all those needs, we can't let the urgency of those day-to-day needs take our eyes off of that superior triumphant and awe-inspiring hope that is Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus our one and only hope? That's the question we want to answer this morning. John chapter 1, it gives us the answer. Would you look there with me? John chapter 1, and we're just going to look at the first five verses today as we begin this very short series, this Christmas series, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 1, reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May God bless the reading of his word. This book of the Bible, John. It's called a gospel. It's a gospel because it's a book about good news. The best news, actually. The news that humanity has been waiting for ever since the very beginning. After humanity made its one and only biggest mistake ever, it turned against its creator. Would it ever be able to find a way to be made right, to escape the consequences, to regain paradise Lost. That was the big question. And the first four books of the New Testament labeled Gospels say, yes, 
absolutely there is hope. Now, Matthew and Luke, they both begin by talking about Jesus' arrival, essentially the very first Christmas. Mark, on the other hand, which we're going to be studying actually in a few weeks, begins by talking about when Jesus was, was baptized and he first began his ministry. John, on the other hand, goes back. It goes way back, way, way back. In fact, even further back than even the very first book in the Bible. Genesis takes us back to when God first created all things. John, on the other hand, wants us to see what happened even before that. He wants us to see that Jesus isn't the plan that God had been trying to figure out for the first several thousand years of human history, and he finally got it right, and boom, okay, Jesus is ready now, here he is. No, this goes back further than even when the foundations of the earth were laid. Yes, God created, but John is writing about a new creation a new creation that was in the works even before the first creation was ever created. That's what John wants us to see here. The hope that he intends to reveal in his gospel is a hope that's rooted in the one who should have been our hope from the very beginning. He writes this. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is it. This is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. He is our one and only hope, and he is the one that has been there even before we were. Why is Jesus our one and only hope? The first five verses, they give us some, some very strong reasons. I'm just going to point out three. Jesus is our one and only hope because Jesus is God. Look at verse one again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Before anything else, there was something called the word. The Greek word used here is logos. Why John used this term to describe what he is describing, it's, it's puzzled some people, frankly. Logos has been used in several different ways by several different groups to mean several different things in the first century. The Stoics used it one way. The Gnostics used it another way. A first century Jew named Philo used it yet another way. But it's likely that when John uses it, he's talking about the word as it was used and described in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament speaks of the word, it's often connected to God expressing himself, to make himself known or something, to cause something powerful to take place. In Genesis 1, we already saw that. God speaks, he speaks creation into being. He speaks, and all of a sudden, there's light, there's land, there's sky, there's planets, there's stars, there's animals. People come to be. His word makes things happen. In Jeremiah 1.4, Jeremiah says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. 
in Amos 3.1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Psalm 107.20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Isaiah 55.11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In the Old Testament, we learn that when God makes himself known or interacts with his creation, he uses his word. And so John says, in the beginning was the word. When he says that, he's talking about that part of God. The Word is the part of God that interacts with and relates with us. But you know, the Word is more than just a, a means of communication or action. The Word isn't, uh, it's not the equivalent of an email or a, a YouTube video or, or a letter. The Word is a person. And John makes that very clear in verse 14 of our chapter this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen not its glory, but his glory. The word is personable. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This mysterious word that John has introduced to us is actually a person. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ. Before he took on flesh, he was the Son of God, the eternal word. This word, John says, not only existed with God. Uh, if you look at the little translation, it says, toward God, signifying that there was some type of, it's not just I'm, I'm hanging out, but there's an actual intimacy there. But it's not only that the Word existed with God, it's that the Word was God. So before everything else, there was God, God the Father, and there was the Word. They were together, but they were also the same. In, in one way. And if you piece together the other parts of the Bible, you come to find out that there are actually three distinct persons or parts of God that make up what we call the Trinity. They are the Father, the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Now, John doesn't mention the Spirit here because, well, he wants to tell us about the Word, right? Why is Jesus our one and only hope? One of the reasons is this. Because unlike every other person that has walked the surface of our sphere, Jesus is God. He eternally existed with God as part of the Trinity, and he actually is God. No more and no less God than God the Father or God the Spirit. He's not just a man who was born, lived, and died. He's not just a man that we might look to for some, uh, to make some positive change in the world, maybe do a few good things. No, he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite, absolutely sovereign and holy God himself. If anyone could help us with our problems, it's him. 
And guess what? In our greatest need, it says he took on flesh to make himself known and to be our rescue. John 3.16, just a few chapters over, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If that's not reason for hope, then I don't know what is. Jesus Christ is our one and only hope because he's not just some, some average Joe. No, he's God. So we can look to him. We can trust him. Secondly, Jesus is our one and only hope because he is the source of life. John says this in, in uh, verses 3 through 4. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made, and, uh, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, there are a lot of different stories about how you and I came to be. Some say that aliens put us here. That's not too bad. Uh, The Greeks told stories of of ancient gods who formed the first human beings out of mud, and then these gods breathed into them some sort of life. One sacred Hindu text, it says uh, that creation was kind of like the breaking of an egg. Another one of those sacred texts, the Vedas, say that the creator built the universe with, with timber as a carpenter builds a house. And yet another one of their sacred texts, the Rig, the, the Rig Veda, says that the universe was created out of, out of parts of a body of a single cosmic man named uh, Purusha when his body was sacrificed. It's a little gruesome. One of the more popular stories in, in our day is that there was um, this, this kind of, of big bang that came out of nowhere hurling all kinds of material that somehow clung together at random and got increasingly complex over billions of years until the world as we know it came to be. Uh, To be honest, that one seems a little far-fetched to me. The Bible has a different story. A story which claims to be the true story of reality. It's a story that best matches the way things really are. In the beginning, Genesis tells us that God breathed life into humanity. Without his life, we're nothing more than a complex lump of inanimate molecules. But he gave life because life was in him. That's where life is from. In him was life. Now, we've all heard people say, get a life, right? We've seen people who are doing some really, really lame things, and we say to ourselves, no, not me. I, I got a life. Whether you think you have a life or not, the source of life is not in the type of music you're into or how many friends you have or how many important things you have to do. It is and has always been God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, our very existence, it comes from from God. 
Notice verse 3 says, through him. God the Father divinely purposes to create, but it was God the Son through whom all things are actually created. Colossians 1.16 uh, affirms this, says this, For by him, by Jesus, by the Son, by the Word, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He made all things. He establishes kings and kingdoms. He sustains all things. I mean, molecules would, would break down. Those protons, those neutrons, those electrons, those tiny little things that we can't see, they'd lose their attraction and they go their separate ways. Everything would fall apart if it were not for this one who has life, gives life, holds all life together. And if that's the case, if that's the case, then why is it that when life gets difficult or we find ourselves in, in some sort of need, that he's one of the last places we look to for help. Why is that? Why, why are we so dead set on working it out on our own or finding some other person or, or maybe drug or program or, or anything else when Christ is the source and he's the sustainer of life? The psalmist got it right. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Since the very beginning, we've been chasing hope. Chasing hope as we run away from the source of life and hope. Where's the sense in that? It's time to turn around. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. How can he say that? Look at this man who's walking around some 2,000 years ago, makes such bold claims like this. It's because in him is life. Because he's not just a man. He's God, and in him is life. That's where it comes from. That's where it's found. Jesus is our one and only hope because he's God, and he's the source of life. Finally, one last thing. Jesus is our one and only hope because he is the victorious light. The victorious light. John writes this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When God first created, there was darkness, wasn't there? The earth, it floated in this absolute blackness. Even if there were people around to see it, they wouldn't have been able to because it was completely concealed by a cloak of darkness. Look back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
here's something interesting. What God does, he reveals. He makes known. He wants it to be known because it's visibility. It shouts to everyone something about who he is. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Paul says in Romans 1, What can be known about God is plain to them, plain to all these people who are walking this planet, because God has shown it to them, he says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. Without light, light there's ignorance, isn't there? Without light, there's unawareness, there's confusion, there's speculation, there's no direction. But with a simple sentence, all of that changed. God spoke, and the power of his word brought irresistible, uncontainable light. John said, the darkness has not overcome it. How could it? Darkness doesn't stand a chance when light is introduced, does it? It must relent. It doesn't have a choice. Such was the case when God first created. This is the way we see things work now. And that's the way it worked when the true light came into the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, in chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that what, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, of course, when Jesus talks about himself as the light, he's talking about more than just I don't know, how do we call it? Physical light, if you're going to call it physical. There's a darkness that goes far deeper than what falls upon us as our sun sets on the horizon. It's a blindness to what's true. It's an ignorance to what is good. An alienation from the one who is the author of, of life, of thought, of knowledge, of understanding, and everything else in existence. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Darkness is the realm of those who have separated themselves from God. That's what John wants us to come to realize in his gospel here. He wants us to know that the light, the light that we have all been without, was and is in God. When he first created, he overcame the darkness by speaking light into the universe. But now comes light that our souls have been longing for ever since we first walked away from God. Christ is that light. And just like in the physical world, that darkness that we're stumbling around in doesn't stand a chance. Whoever believes in him does not remain in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who said, let there be light, he has created, he has shown a light inside of us, opening us up to realize the glory of God and how glorious and amazing God is through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5.8 it says this, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And those of us maybe watching this, maybe listening to this, who have not placed our trust in Jesus, we need to step into the light. We need to believe in him. It's time for us to stop living in darkness. It's time we confessed our sin, our rebellion against him, look to the cross, and look to what Jesus did there in taking all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our guilt onto himself, and there paying for it all with his life, that we might, by believing, have his righteousness applied to us and be washed clean and forgiven for our sins, be made right with God and given that life, be made children of the light. One of the awesome things about the way that John writes is that at times, it seems he intentionally uses language that can convey multiple truths. That word for overcome here, it can also be translated comprehend. And so maybe you've seen one translation that says uh, the darkness did not overcome it, and another translation will say the darkness did not comprehend it, didn't understand it. Just as it is true that darkness can't overcome light, it's also true And we see it here in the Gospel of John. He brings this to light over and over again. That people walking in darkness, they don't understand it. They don't comprehend the light that Jesus brought into the world. Boy, I pray that will not be the case with you. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we're now children of the light. What an incredible thing this is. But you know, we need to remind ourselves, especially in a world that seems to be plunging deeper and deeper into darkness, we need to remind ourselves that darkness has not, nor will it ever, overcome the light. Christ is the conquering, triumphant light. And you can put your hope in him because of that. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the eternal, triumphant light, he looked at Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, Do you believe this? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Martha replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. For Martha, the chase was over. It was over. The hope that she had always needed 
was standing right there in front of her. What about you? Are you still chasing hope? This season, my prayer is that we will stop the chase. We'll stop chasing hope and set our eyes in the direction that hope has always been, even since before the very beginning. That's where we need to look. Jesus is our one and only hope because Jesus is God, because Jesus is the source of life, and because Jesus is the victorious light. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, I am astounded by the magnificence of your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent into the world, that we celebrate, Lord, during this season, even in the midst of the craziness that is in our world right now, even in the midst of lockdowns, even in the midst of this COVID-19 stuff, the masks that we have to wear, the people who are passing away, sometimes before, uh, before our very eyes, Lord, even, even as businesses fail, restaurants close, livelihoods are destroyed, families are torn apart, Lord. People are aching for hope and they're searching desperately. And Jesus, in the midst of it all, is magnificent. Thank you for Jesus. May we look to him this season as our one and only hope, recognizing that he is God, recognizing that that's where life is found, and recognizing that he is the victorious light. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for hope. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.